this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The miracle of Christmas is the incarnation. And the incarnation is a reference to God becoming a man, who being the brightness of his glory and the exact representation of his person. Another way of describing the deity of Christ. So the miracle of Christmas is that God became a man. But here's the question. What did the miracle of Christmas accomplish? Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian begins our special Christmas series. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 1, verses 1 and 14, and a message titled, The Miracle of Christmas. Now, here's Pastor Brian. I thought we would look at the great subject of the miracle of Christmas. And that miracle is really sort of outlined for us in a few verses in John chapter 1. So I'm going to read to you John chapter 1, verse 1, verse 14, and verse 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. The Word who was with God and who was God became flesh and dwelt among us. This is the miracle of Christmas. This is the unique and extraordinary message of the Christian gospel. You know, we're living in an age of skepticism and relativism, and we live in a pluralistic environment where we hear people say things like, All religions are the same. They all teach the same. Uh, It doesn't matter, you know, which religion you adhere to. Any one of them are just as valid as the other. And yet anyone who has studied religions or more specifically read the gospel, you know that that just isn't true. The message of the Christian gospel is a unique and extraordinary message. The message is essentially that God became a human being. That's what the Bible says. God became a human being. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Or at least that's what anybody celebrating Christmas ought to be celebrating because that's really the essence of it. Now, This message that God would become a human being was predicted many, many centuries before Jesus came. And so 
it was really the promise of the Old Testament. The Old Testament, as you read it, one of the things you notice about it is it's anticipatory and it's incomplete. Anticipatory meaning it's, it's looking ahead. It's, it's always pointing you to the future and ultimately to the future regarding the Messiah, his coming and the establishment of his kingdom. But in the Old Testament, this was really the main promise, the promise that God would come and visit his people, that God would come as a man. Isaiah declared that in the seventh chapter, the 14th verse, he said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us. Isaiah went on to say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah prophesied approximately 700 years before the birth of Christ. Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah, and this is what he said, but you, Bethlehem, though you were little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. So you see, Isaiah says that the child that's born is a son who is given, who is uh, the mighty God, who is God with us. And Micah adds to that, that his going forth, he's stepping out of eternity into time. So this was the promise of the Old Testament, that God would become a man. It is the claim that Christ made concerning himself. Now, there are people today who say that Jesus never claimed to be God. They say that was put in his mouth by others at a, a later date. But the fact of the matter is Jesus did claim to be God. Every time Jesus said, I am, and then added something to that, like I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world, or I am the good shepherd, or whatever. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Each of those statements, Jesus is putting himself forth as the great I am. You see, that was the name that God revealed himself to Moses by. Maybe you remember when Moses was being commissioned by God to go to Egypt and to let the people know that their time of deliverance had come, Moses asked the question. He said, what is your name and who shall I tell them sent me? And the response from God was, tell them I am has sent you. And so Jesus uses this I am. And then on one occasion, he says so clearly that it's indisputably his claim to deity. He says, in response to the Pharisees, he says, before Abraham was, I am. He takes the very name of God to himself. So it was the promise of the Old Testament. It was the claim Christ made of himself. And it is the declaration of the New Testament. So the Bible in its entirety teaches that God would at some point in history become a man, that he would come in to human history. 
Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, he said, Christ is over all the eternally blessed God. You can't get a clearer statement than that. He's over all the eternally blessed God. Peter referred to Jesus as our God and Savior. And then Thomas famously said to the Lord after his resurrection, my Lord and my God. So the miracle of Christmas is the incarnation. And the incarnation is a reference to God becoming a man. You remember the passage that we started off with in our scripture reading this morning, uh, who being the brightness of his glory in the exact representation of his person. Another way of, of describing the deity of Christ. So the miracle of Christmas is that God became a man. But here's the question. What did the miracle of Christmas accomplish? And I want to tell you today that Christmas is really the answer to the deepest questions that reside within man. It is the answer. The incarnation is the answer to the deepest questions. It answers the question about who God is. It answers the question about how do I deal with guilt and with sin. It answers the question of what is my purpose for being? What is the reason for my existence? It answers the question of how can I live the kind of life that I should live? And it finally answers the question of what happens when this life is over. And so we want to look at each of those points. The Christmas miracle accomplished each one of these things, beginning, first of all, with bringing to us a clear revelation of God. You see, the picture of God historically had been distorted, and it was unclear. Even though God had, again, as we read, he had spoken in time past to the fathers by the prophets. He had even on occasion sent angels to speak on his behalf. But man's understanding of God was distorted. Even the people who had the clearest revelation misinterpreted the revelation. Of course, we're speaking about the Jews. They were the ones who were entrusted with this written revelation of God. The rest of humanity had uh, the general revelation of God that's seen in nature and providence and things like that. But the Jews had a more specific revelation of God. But yet, even with that specific revelation, the picture that they ended up with was a distorted picture. And by the time we come to the arrival of Jesus, you find that the men who were the self-appointed representatives of God were radically misrepresenting him. They were representing him as harsh and vindictive and petty and loveless and angry and just, it, it was a bad, bad picture. But then Jesus comes and he gives a completely different picture. So Jesus comes and he brings to us a clear understanding of who God is. Now, this question, of course, is still a question that many people have today. If there is a God, what is he like? 
The answer is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Of course, you can find it in the Old Testament as well, but you find it spelled out clearly when we come to the Gospels. Jesus, he fleshes out God. He puts God out in the open for everyone to see, and that's exactly what's being stated in the 18th verse that we read of John chapter 1. No man has seen God, speaking of the Father, no man has seen the Father at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom. Think of the bosom as the heart. He's in the heart of God. He has declared him, or literally he has brought him out into the open so everybody can see him clearly. So this is what happened at Christmas. God was brought out into the open. And as we look at Jesus and as we see his interaction with people, as we see how he deals with the sick and the suffering and the sinners and just suffering humanity in general, we see this beautiful picture of a God of love and mercy and grace and compassion who's anxious to forgive and to restore so much a contrast to what was being portrayed by the religious leaders at the time. But, you know, that problem is not limited to the first century. We still have plenty of misrepresentation of God all over the world today. And there are people who think of God in very harsh terms. They think of God as being angry and wanting to destroy and ready to condemn. And there are other views of God that are inaccurate. But if we want to know what God is like, we have a picture of him, a faithful picture in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't like to really use this word concerning the Lord so much, but I'm going to use it. Jesus was cool. (laughs) And, And I don't like to use it so much because, you know, cool is just you know, one of those things. But it, it gets a point across. Jesus was the kind of person that you wanted to meet. You, you wanted to encounter him. You wanted to experience him. You wanted to hear what he had to say. People were drawn to him. Multitudes of people were drawn to him. The very people that would have never gone near the religious leadership of the day, they would have stayed away from them knowing that they would have never been welcomed by them. Those people were drawn to Jesus and they came to him sensing that he would embrace them and he did. He did that very thing. And you know, I I would go so far as to say that religion in a general sense there's just something about it that's not cool. It's just, it's unattractive. It's, it just has a, it smacks of just an oppressive, coercive kind of a thing. But that's not what we find in the true gospel, the biblical gospel. The true gospel is drenched in grace and grace is just this big, it's like a big welcome sign. It's just inviting everybody to come and to participate in God's love. That's what Jesus did. He brought God out into the open. That's what happened at Christmas. And so now for the past 2,000 years, we have had a picture, a portrait, if you will, 
of God himself. We find it in the pages of the New Testament. But not only did Christmas bring God out into the open, but Christmas also shows us that we can be forgiven, that our sins can finally be atoned for. Now, even though we live in a a very, very much a secularized culture, there's still many people in our culture that are aware of the fact that they're sinners. They might not use that exact term, but they know that there's something wrong with them. They know that their behavior is wrong. It's unacceptable. They feel guilty about that even in our highly secularized Western culture. Now, outside of the West, you've got this all over the place because people still have a theistic worldview to some extent, and they still think in terms of right and wrong and, and judgment and God and, and all of that. So this, this issue of, of sin and guilt is still very much a real issue for most everyone today. Now, we live under the the New Testament period in which we have this amazing forgiveness that comes to us through simple faith in Christ. And even when we sin today, we can have our sins forgiven just as simply as asking for it through Christ. But, you know, sometimes I think in the simplicity of it, we've forgotten the greatness of it or the glory of it. You see, if we had lived prior to the first Christmas, forgiveness of sin was almost impossible. At least for most people, you could never really know for sure that your sins were forgiven. And there was a a very lengthy and, to some extent, a very gory process that had to be walked through in order to obtain, hopefully, the forgiveness of sins. Now, amongst the pagans, of course, they had all of the ideas about sacrifice and so forth. And that was true amongst the Israelites as well. Theirs were not rooted in paganism. The pagans actually just distorted what happened in the beginning when God required a sacrifice for sin. But with the Israelites, God had given this system so that men's sins could be covered, so that God could bless them. You see, sin is the thing that keeps God from blessing and and bestowing his goodness on people like he would like to. So he makes a way to be able to bless them by covering their sin. But the problem is, under this sacrificial system, the sin can never really be taken away. So there's a constant need for sacrifice over and over again. And there are various festivals where the sacrifices are intensified and there's a a day of atonement and all of these things because as Hebrews tells us, it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could actually take away sin. So the person could never really be freed in their conscience from the guilt of sin. But God, of course, understands that. So he's going to do something about it. And again, this is what happens at Christmas. Listen to what is stated in Hebrews chapter 10. And it's speaking concerning Christ. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So you see the incarnation, a body you have prepared for me. Then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. And then the author says, after quoting that from the Old Testament, he says, by that will, 
Jesus prophetically says, I'm coming to do your will. The author says, by that will, we have been sanctified or justified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, before Jesus came, before the first Christmas, if I was a Jew and I wanted my sin forgiven, I would have to take a sacrifice to the priest and he would have to offer it on my behalf. And that's the only way I could have the guarantee that my sins were covered. But you see, today, through the one sacrifice forever that was made by Christ, I can simply say, Lord, I've sinned, forgive me. And he forgives me that instant. Again, you see, this is men and women all over the world for all time labor under the guilt of sin and wondering how can I be relieved of this guilt? And that's where we, you know, some of the modern philosophy, psychology and things come in and say, well, you shouldn't be guilty in the first place. But you know, it doesn't matter how often you're told you shouldn't be guilty. There's still something in you that knows that I shouldn't have done that. I am guilty because we are guilty. But God has dealt with that through the incarnation by Jesus coming and dying in our place. Now, again, Hebrews states, inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. The incarnation is primarily about the ability for Christ to die. It is about a clear revelation of God. It's about other things, but it's primarily about the ability to die. God couldn't die. So how was he going to remedy this problem? How was he going to atone for sin? No human being could atone for sin because all human beings are sinners. No angel could atone for sin. The only one who could atone for sin is God, but someone has to die. God can't die unless he becomes a man. And so the incarnation is God's way of enabling himself to be offered up as that sacrifice for sin. And so we today, we can have total confidence that our sins are forgiven. Somebody asked me this question the other day in all sincerity and with deep concern. They said this, if... I were to sin during the day, and they gave the example of losing their temper or something like that, and if I died on my way home from work that evening without resolving that, would I go to hell? This was a believer that was asking this question. And the reason I bring that up is because a lot of believers still, even though They've received Christ, even though they know theoretically their sins are forgiven, they still have concerns that maybe not all of their sins are forgiven, or maybe they're, they're going to commit a sin at some point that won't be forgiven. But you know what I said to the person? I said, that their question was, would I go to hell? My answer to them was, no, you wouldn't. You'd go to heaven. They said, but what if I didn't get a chance to confess? I said, it doesn't matter because what we're told in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, is continually cleansing us from sin. That's the glorious thing. And now, 
let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. Beautiful People Don't Just Happen is the title of a book by Scott Sauls. And the subtitle is How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans. And I think in the title and the subtitle, we can see that this book is going to be really helpful in helping us understand how God is using the challenging things in our life to make us, in the end, more like Christ. So my recommendation here is Scott Saul's book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen. Pick up your copy. I know you're going to be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, How God Redeems Regret, Hurt, and Fear in the Making of Better Humans by Scott Sauls. You can order the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, Beautiful People Don't Just Happen by Scott Sauls, to remind you to assign a purpose to your regret, hurt, and fear. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our special message titled, The Miracle of Christmas. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.